Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Hi everyone, this episode is brought to you by Just Do. Just Do is a portfolio project management tool we've been using at Project Chatter. Whilst all other systems cater for small teams, Just Do caters for teams large and small, plus it has no set hierarchies, meaning your structure, your platform, your workflow. I agree, Val. While Just Do is simple to use, it also has a lot of powerful functionality. My favorite is the task-specific chat. Yes, and for all you slackers out there, don't wait for Monday. Do check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. So before we jump into this episode, episode 100, Val, uh, we thought we'd you know, sort of take a look back over season four uh, and, and just kind of remember the fun times of season four. But uh, we just want to also, I guess, pause and thank all the listeners, you know, to each 100 episodes, I think is, is truly humbling yeah. and amazing. I, I don't know if we truly, truly felt in the beginning, Val, that we'd ever reach 100. What do you think? No way. No chance. I think we we started off in cars and, and, and obviously in the back of wherever, but it, it kind of it was prompted by our supporters and our fans and our followers and sponsors. And we really did get to a place where actually this could be something fun. And yeah. now it's just at a place where it's, it's growing every, every month, every month we're booked out. Agreed. Agreed. Every week we are there with you folks. Uh, we, th- this will be the final one for season four. We'll take a couple of weeks break for the end of the year and then we'll start again in January. But um, on, on that note, I guess we'll also just wish you a fantastic Christmas and, and New Year festive mm-hmm. season with your loved ones. Hope you stay safe. Hope you all stay well and keep sending us the, the feedback. We love all of the all, all of the feedback that you do give to us. But quickly, let's just go through, Val. So we started off season four with Christina Henkai on uh, 4D planning uh, and, and visualization. And Christina is amazing um, doing a thing. And she ended off lovely with a, a Buddhist quote. Uh, that was my favorite for that episode. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, model-based planning is what I remember when I spoke to her on that on that episode. Uh, followed by that, we had the next, which was the four moves in the VUCA world of projects with Debbie Sawana Ryan. Hopefully I got that right. She was fantastic as well. Uh, I still remember the VUCA and even the dance uh, from previous seasons. And she was just lovely and she's still lovely. I still speak to her on LinkedIn almost every month. She's tagging us into something very conversational, very impactful. Yeah, she was fantastic. And she had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of fun conversation with her as well. And then we were, we were privileged to uh, have Bryn Lockett and Adam Kingsbury on the, the show to launch the integrated project controls and digital insights report. And we went, we, we went into quite a few of the, um, bits of data kpis and metrics that came out of that and was was great to you know work with with Bryn and adam to to actually launch then hopefully we can do that again next year 
Yeah, I agree. agree. And I'm glad they add, added digital insights to that. Uh, and then we'll follow by why schedule quality really matters with Martin Murphy, which was great for those that wanted to get into the technical. Um, he had a lot of energy, uh, a lot of different views, and uh, he was great. Uh, he could have kept talking. I think we probably had could have had a part two for sure. And, and interesting fact on that episode 79, it is one of our highest downloaded audio and watched on YouTube wow. episodes. So folks, go check it out if you haven't checked out episode 79 with Martin Murphy. And then the most positive project manager we've ever <laughs> spoken to and gotten to know, Casper Dixon. Uh, he also spoke about Lean and Six Sigma, um, but he was hugely, hugely positive. And, and he he put out the you know the the advantages of his his approach to to that on episode eighty. Yeah, he was great, um, and it was great to have someone with positive energy on the on the spot. Uh, and then we go into a deep dive into change management in the next episode and project management with uh, Chief Innovation Officer, I believe, at uh, ProSci with Tim Creasy. Fantastic again, a very popular show with a very popular guest who has come back, uh, who will come back. That is. Um, but it was great to actually get the spelling right and um, and talk about ProSci in projects. Yeah. And for anyone that's like Val, it's not ProSci, it's ProSci, <laughs> but there we are. He doesn't mind, or ProSci don't mind actually how you pronounce it. Uh, it is all good. And then we had our next episode with Sunchana Johnston. She was amazing to chat to. She had so many stories and anecdotes. That was just sort of entertainment uh, at its best folks but go and have a listen to why good project planners are like gold dust on episode 82 i love that title um then maybe one of the biggest ones that impacted me was project management under conditions of inherent uncertainty with mr david snowden now i don't know this one kind of boggled my mind there was a lot of great things we heard he was he was talking about his kinefin framework uh, i'm still reading it today uh, it's changed my my views and how i do consulting and and certainly a very a very strong intellect with a lot of anecdotes and he used a lot of natural systems and big words that kind of confuffled me and realized how dumb i really am um but it was a great episode i agree i agree i just went down a few levels of dumb as well it was just <laughs> yeah after listening to to dave or speaking to him at least wow mind blown and continuing on that theme of mind being blown, our next episode was with none other than Dr. Dan Patterson speaking about the future of project management technology. How privileged were we to just sort of, you know, kick the tires with, with Dan? It was amazing to have him on and he did promise us he'd be back once he's figured out what the, the next step is in, in his evolution of project technology on episode 84, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we had a few tech ones, didn't we? And this one also was great. Uh, how to deliver perfect, all engaging projects and why we actively and intentionally make a mess of them instead with Eddie O'Bang. Captain Eddie O'Bang was fantastic. A lot of energy. He talked about, uh, you know, what is it? Caterpillars to butterflies. Yeah. He talked about his virtual environment called Cube, which is really game changing. Specifically, uh, I've seen a lot of it over the last couple of months, but really, really inspiring and, and great to listen to. I agree. I agree. Eddie is great. And if you, if you say to us, we don't give you the breadth across projects, well, we do. We had Sarah Shooter up next, making law work for the construction and engineering industry. And she certainly schooled us. She knows mm. her stuff so, so well. Um, and folks, if you want to know about law and the construction and engineering industry, go and have a listen to Sarah. And she, she actually, I think in your words, Val, um, took a really dry sub subject and made it quite interesting and fascinating. I was being nothing but honest. Let's be clear. Law could be dry, but Sarah did a great job uh, giving, getting us interested and in, in invigorated. I think as well, the next one, why independent project assurance is important. You know, Lorraine Humphrey did exactly the same thing and talked about her, her experience in Transport for London and other projects and why assurance should be independent and why they are so important. And I got a lot out of that one as well. Agreed. Agreed. Next up was how to get the best out of your PMO with Lindsay Scott and Eileen Roden. I'm not going to give away too much on this, just that we spoke about poos and pots. We did speak about poos and pots and we had a bit of a debate too. So it's good to talk about PMO as it's a very malleable space. Uh, next up, we did talk to Elizabeth Harron about effective stakeholder management and engagement. And I think this is really important for all projects. So there's a bit for everyone in this episode. Please go have a listen if you can. 
Agreed, Val. And then America Pinto was up next with that storm over Rio and the, the audio issues in the beginning. But uh, we, we got a lot of uh, nuggets out of America and what he's doing with the PMO Global Alliance. And they're doing some fantastic work globally, as the name suggests. Well done. We're looking forward to our, us being an awarded something in the, in the future, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and the art of complex change management with Donnie McNichol was also interesting. I mean, again, change is such a fascinating subject matter and it impacts all of us. And Donnie certainly knows his stuff. Agreed. Continuing with that theme was Joe Lucas, rewilding organizations and minimal interference approach to delivering change. She spoke a lot about the mycelium. Mm, I know. So if you haven't seen the fungal guy, you should check out him first. I think it's um, uh, Stan Stamets. Check him out. Um, and then we're followed by my good friend, Dom Xiao, uh, performance and resilience in projects. And geez, he was great. Just a great presenter, uh, communicator. And he really talked about the importance of performance and resilience, especially during COVID. Uh, just a fantastic storyteller. Agreed, agreed. And then Matt Levy came along and humbled us with all of mm. his feats at the Paralympics. Folks, there's some great anecdotes. Usain Bolt was in that one as well. So, well, he wasn't personally in that, but Matt spoke about when he, 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 he met Usain, which was great as well. Yeah, great. And then we get into digital transformation and the differences between PMO and project management. And I think Harris Apostolopoulos, hey, I did it. Uh, did a really good job at explaining that to us and, and giving us a breakdown from his perspective and the projects he'd been on. I think that's the first time you got a name correct, Phil. Well, no, I try. Uh, getting better, mate. And then, folks, episode 96, bang! This is Dr. Paul Jamalva and Yanni Saritman. If those, those of you that know those <laughs> names have seen how active, well, Yanni is now because Paul got cancelled from LinkedIn and he tells he his did. story why, which is quite interesting. But you know, if you take that one aside, the competency-based training and benchmarking conversation was hugely, hugely insightful. Um, so go and check that out on episode 96. And episode 97, we talk about busting earned value management myths with Richard Loeb, which is great because he came in and talked about something that we really love talking about, Mottdale. We love being a bit of geek speak. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about earned value in the detail, uh, this is the one for you. The next one, can blockchain improve project delivery? Fred Shibesta, I mean, Fred Shibesta, the founder of Finder, he is a creative, he's an innovator. He was in New York when we spoke to him. Uh, it was great because he didn't actually go down the route we thought projects would in terms of using blockchain. He actually advised against it, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but he's a great, great guy and he had some really good insights into how blockchain works and how to effectively manage it. But he also talked about databases, which is great. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And then episode 99 with Mr. Paul Googe and Warren Beardall. Now, you missed that one, Val, but it was hugely, hugely philosophical, as the, mm. the title suggests. And we went all over the show. We had amazing cricket analogies all the way through the entire episode. Um, and we, we left it saying, actually, it was like the first innings or day one of a long test match. And we'll definitely have Paul and Warren back. And folks, just go and have a listen to that one, because I won't do it justice by picking out anything from that so that's it up to episode 99. We'll jump into the preamble now with uh, Magda Robertson. Um, she was lovely to have on, Val. Thank you for, for inviting her onto the show. Um, and we spoke largely around uh, transportation uh, sector projects and, you know, um, her career path and what to look out for. And was, it was good, again, just kicking the tires with Magda. But a bit about Magda. Magda is an accomplished senior leader with 20 years experience in the transport industry that includes heavy rail, light rail and buses, both in the public and private sectors. And she also spoke about franchising and what that means. Uh, but I wonder, can you draw out any of the highlights for you in episode 100? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, she's very passionate about transport, as you can tell. And she talks about the malleability of being in transport. You can be anyone. And that gave her the opportunity to do many roles, wear many hats. And then she starts to dive into some of the important factors like how you improve projects and operations with the minutes, the marginal gains. Um, but she talks about culture as well, which is fantastic. And her journey, uh, you know, she's done quite well. She's quite young and now she's taking a role as CEO in a rail program in New Zealand. So congrats to her for that. And we look forward to having a drink with her in New Zealand at some point. <laughs> 
Exactly. I, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. But the other one I, I will add to what you've just said there is the man cave analogy she drops in. Mm. So that's not for that one, folks. But I guess all that's left for us to say is, you know, like we've said it already, but enjoy the festive season with your loved ones and stay safe and enjoy this podcast. Hello, Project People. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the podcast. And yes, I am back. Uh, it's always great to have you with us. Uh, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, you should. And you should follow us and tap that button on your favorite podcast or YouTube player. Or if you prefer to watch us, obviously YouTube is the way to go. Leave us a rating or comment on Dale's haircut if you feel like it. Dale, my friend, how are you, sir? Doing well? I'm very well, thank you. I haven't had a haircut. You haven't been away that long. Where were you? Do you care to share with the listeners where you were for the last episode? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I've got a hard, I got a hard boss. He's, he's always driving me really, really hard. Um, as my guest knows, he's very, very difficult to work with. Um, but that brings us to our special guest, Dale. I'll get straight into it because we are time stricken with this uh, favorite player of mine in the transport space, uh, Magda Robinson. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Val. I'm well. And uh, I've got to say, your boss is not hard and just <laughs> <laughs> he's a liar, everyone. <laughs> He is. He is not. He's so lovely. Uh, he's a big teddy bear. Shout out to Michael Downing uh, if you are listening, and you should be. And if you're not, we've got things to talk about. Uh, let's get into the subject today because obviously you've got a great career, um, and you know I've kind of been watching you, uh, not not in an awkward way, but just watching your career blossom over time. And I think it's great to know where people come from and where their beginnings are. So I always kind of start this off in Dallas as well, learning about where people come from, how do they get into projects, uh, what about projects makes it interesting for them because it brings a very diverse set of people. It's not all the same people. Um, but for you, Magda, where did it all start? How did you get into projects? Um, yeah, it's a really super interesting question. Um, I started my career in law enforcement back in the day. Um, and then something incredible happened to the world. Incredible is probably a really bad choice of words, but something sort of tragic coverage of the world, which was September 11th. And uh, the state government of New South Wales uh, had a mandate for uh, better security on transport. Um, and I found my way into transport. And I've got to say, Val and Dale, I hated my life for the first six months because I went from a really sexy job in law enforcement to um, looking after trains. Um, and it just didn't feel very cool. Um, but I stuck it out. I stuck it out because when I'm in, I'm in. I'm 100% in. Uh, and then I fell in love with transport. And I think um, a lot of people have the same story, uh, which is which is kind of sad because uh, often when you talk to people, they always say, uh, you know, they ask you how to get into transport. And it's always sort of like a, an accidental uh, career move, right? A lot of people have that story. Um, and that was my story. Um, but I fell in love with it. Uh, so I started with New South Wales Trains, uh, incredible job, incredible organisation. I got to do, um, you know, various, various roles within this complex organisation, starting from obviously security, uh, going to infrastructure. Uh, and then I was blessed enough to go down to Melbourne and get into train operations. Um, and that's where my life sort of with projects started. Uh, MTM were going through a huge uh, level crossing removal programs, which I was um, blessed to be a part of. Uh, and then I went, went back to Sydney and, and moved on to Adelaide Metro, which was a franchise, a first franchise for the trams. South Australian government um, franchised both the trams and the heavy rail. Uh, and I was blessed enough to work on the trams, uh, you know, set it up, take it over from government into private hands, private operator. Uh, and it was incredible. Uh, and now my next venture, my next project is Adelaide. Oh, my apologies. See, I'm so stuck on Adelaide. Uh, <laughs> it's a great state, great city. It's just hard, hard to give it up. It's just been such an incredible uh, job to have. Uh, and now I'm moving on to Auckland One Rail. So that's the, uh, another exciting project that we've got in the pipeline. Fantastic. And yeah, it's, it's interesting how people describe September 11 as a, as a kind of pinnacle point of change for, for a lot of people. I think even myself, I was in the Navy and uh, yeah, that, you know, I was thinking, you know, patrol boats fishing, uh, but we were all sent over to be part of the deploy over there. So 
yeah, it's, it's affected everyone in so many different ways. And it's great that you got to share that little highlight of your, your career path. And I'm going to, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on that, that, that query around trains in particular, because you've stuck it out for a while now. What is it about that specific subject matter or that particular technology or whatever it might be in there that really gets you going? Is it the people? Is it the types of work that you're doing? Is it a mixture? Um, what's going on in there, Magda? I think the thing that is really incredible about transport is uh, it's, it, it's a whole organic um, complex entity. So, you know, if you become a lawyer, you're a lawyer. Uh, if you become a doctor, you're a doctor. In transport, you can be anything, right? So mm. you can be a lawyer. Uh, you can be an accountant. You can be a, an ops specialist. Um, you know, you can be a ticket inspector. It comes with a vast range of opportunities. Uh, and I think that's a good thing about transport that really, you know, entices people to get involved in this, um, in this organisation. But I think for me, I think for me, the really important thing is... Um, that it's a, it's, it's a critical service, right? So if you look at water and electricity, it's an essential service. And, mm -hmm. you know, with COVID, it really, uh, it really embedded the need for public transport um, and the, the reliance on the public for public transport. So when COVID, you know, when COVID hit and the pandemic started, I remember dialing to a STICO and, you know, one of the critical conversations we we're having with very, very important people in both New South Wales and the federal government was we're not going to stop public transport because you just can't stop public transport because if you think pandemonium is going to hit, it would hit when you tell people that public transport is going to stop, right? Uh, so that was never an option, um, which just shows uh, the essential service that we provide. And the interesting thing is when I did go out on the network during, you know, the guts of the pandemic, whether it was 12 months ago or six months ago, when I looked at the patronage, um, it was just profound what I saw because it was the vulnerable people of the community. It was the nurses, it was the police officers, it was the fireys, it was the people that really needed that service to get to the other critical services. Um, and that was really important for me because it made me feel like I'm part of something far bigger than myself. Uh, and, and that's pretty special uh, to be part of something that's legacy making and something that everyone relies on every day is incredible. That's what gets my blood boiling and juices flowing. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can tell you're, you're definitely feeling it here and uh, in the studio. And I think this, this point of, of connection back to what you're doing as a, as a job is, is more of a career, right? Um, and you mentioned the, the, the malleability of having different roles within transport. That makes, makes it kind of cool. You can be anything you want, which is quite 100%. interesting for it. For anyone who's not been in transport, they're like, eh. It's just trains or trams or whatever, but actually, I'm, I, I agree with you. And I know Dale is nodding as well. It, it, there's something for everybody in transport, which is great. It's a very inclusive by default, I think, because you do need. We talked about it before. Different types of hats. You need different types of personalities, cultures, people. Um, what roles yeah. you, you mentioned the, of your career in, in a bit of a span there? But what roles did you take in there? Did you take different roles, or were they similar in, in nature? No, they were completely different. Um, you know, security was very different to infrastructure where, so with security, I was dealing with a lot of uh, law enforcement, which I was very comfortable in because that's the environment that I came from. Uh, so you were dealing with police, you were dealing with security guards, you were dealing with special services. I then moved into infrastructure, which is, you know, I was dealing with engineers and electricians and uh, really specialised people, very different culture very different dynamic that I was dealing with. And you've got to bear in mind that I wasn't, I wasn't an engineer, um, you know, so I was exposed to a whole different world where it was critical operations. So, for example, if there was a disruption, you know, my guys were the ones responsible for switching the electricity off so police could go rescue people. Um, so a very different world that I was exposed to and it was a very different uh, environment. So I had to learn a whole new level of skills. Uh, which is the beauty of transport, right? Because you don't have to be boxed into that one area, whether it's operations or security or infrastructure. Those skills you pick up uh, and the network is the network. Uh, so then I moved into train operations, which is dealing with the train controllers and the signalers. Again, I'm not a train controller, I'm not a signaler. Uh, again, a new set of skills that I had to learn. But it's all about 
the right way to manage people. It's how you build a culture and how you build a workforce that um, who are essentially the SMEs because you're no longer that SME. My SMEism, <laughs> great word, my SMEism, you know, stopped at the security point when I moved into the other levels. Uh, you know, I had to rely on SMEs and it's how you build that culture and you rely on those people to do the right thing by you. But more so to the right thing by the organization and the public who are traveling on those services. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I think just from the sound of it, in your experience in law enforcement, you've got this, uh, I guess, duty of a responsible uh, responsibleness. Is that a word? I don't know. We're doing isms now. Are we? I like but, it. We're doing oh, Let's just go with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, protecting as well. And I think transport as well, there's a lot of critical decisions that need to be made on a day to day basis. And I think. That's maybe the synergy between law enforcement and what you're doing. Um, and there is this contributing factor as well. It is a network. People are relying on it. I love that double essential piece. You know, you've got essential service people running on an essential service. That's exactly what's happening. Uh, and I think it's an amazing, amazing area to be in. If you've never thought about transport, you should think about it. Um, one more question, and I know Dale's going to jump in soon, um, is, you know, how did you, I, th- I guess with malleability, it's a great, it's a great exercise. If you're self-initiating, if you're a self-starter, if you've got some, I guess, ambition and, and confidence uh, in your abilities, but for some people, they need structure, they need guidance. And I'm just going to talk about career progression for one, because just your career sounds very inspiring. What about those who are kind of listening in on you today, Magda? Not really sure because it is too malleable. There are too many options. You know, it's like, well, which way do I go? Do I go this way? Would that give me like a better, more contribution, more enjoyment? Because uh, again, it's about, you know, people, different people like different things. Um, what do you suggest people should do if they're not really sure and they're in transport or and they're they're in a stuck role? Uh, maybe you've been in one as well. What could they do about that from your perspective? Um, you know, you, 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 there comes a point in your career where you know it's time to go, uh, mm. and you—that's the point you really need to channel, uh, and you've got to create your own opportunities. So, uh, you know, I've never been—I've often heard uh, I've never been one of those people, but when I worked for many organizations, you know, people often said to me, oh, you know, I was asked to apply for this job. I was tapped on the shoulder for this job. Uh, That stuff never happened to me. Um, But you've got to take risks and you've got to be in it to win it. Um, Mm. I can tell you probably about seven jobs I applied for that I never got. Um, But you've got to put yourself out there. Uh, You know, just you've got to take the risks. And if you're stuck and if you're not enjoying your job anymore, look look for the next big thing and when i say big thing i'm not necessarily saying you know it's going to be a level up it might mean a sea change for example you know i did 17 years in sydney trains i loved it uh incredible organization but you know i hit that ceiling i hit that ceiling where i kind of felt um my potential has been tapped out um i got a i got a really good reputation uh, you know, I was the fixer-upper. Uh, I solved problems. Um, but then there comes a, a point where they're not looking for that person anymore. So my sea change was Melbourne, and it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Uh, incredible city, incredible MTM, incredible organisation. Uh, and I learned a whole level, different level of skills. So uh, you've got, just got to take risks and back yourself. Fake it till you make it. Um, mm. because people around you that will support you if you don't have that answer you've just got to back yourself that's awesome magda if i can jump in there i first comment just on your australianisms um i think i'm getting a lesson here in in how to speak australian um <laughs> but no, it's great it adds adds to the the show i while you're talking there i was thinking of a book i read by richard branson called screw it let's do it and it's along the same lines of just, you know, give it a go. And, and it applies to careers, not just business as well. And I'd add to that and say, yeah, go for it. But the more you actually throw yourself out there, actually you de-risk because you learn things along the journey. So, yeah, I love the fact that uh, you've, you've put that out there. And, yeah, folks, go and, you know, switch gears and try different things out. And you never know. You might just find something more interesting. But I do want to shift gears slightly from... I guess, more personal career challenges to more sort of public facing organizational challenges and things like that. Because I, 
I, I would, I'd imagine that a lot of the listeners listening to, to the, the Project Chatter podcast perhaps haven't worked in public-facing organizations or sectors. And I wonder if we might just delve into the, how different the challenge is rather than you know, answering to, I guess, a boss or a, a CEO that you know, is, is, is purely after profit margins and you know, driving, driving down hard on you know, hit these targets, et cetera. What what are the that's diff, that makes public transport different to to the private sector, um, and, and maybe that also adds to the spice of it because it is a different view, isn't it? Mm, yeah, um, I think you've got to be mindful what the what the service that you're providing. So um, public transport is is what it is. It's public transport. So. Uh, and the beauty of that is it, it comes with those complexities. So, uh, you know, and particularly when you franchise them. So you still got those, you know, you still got those profit margins. It is a business. Uh, for any government agency that thinks it's not a business and there is no profit margins, that's the mistake they're going to make, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, someone's going to come along one day and say, well, what, is, what, are, what are you doing in this space? And how much is it costing us? Because if you take Adelaide as an example, um, you know, we, we, we took the business over nearly, it's coming up to a year and a half, two years maybe. Um, and the vast amount of changes that we were able to implement, um, it just speaks volumes. So in the first, you know, a year and a half, we uh, increased performance by 19%. We're smashing the KBIs, um, the budget, we're making money. Um, something the government wasn't doing. Uh, so al although it is a public transport, it's still an organisation. And I'm going to keep saying it, that is the beauty of it because, you know, we, we, do, we need lawyers. We need to lawyer up because we're a public service provider. People trip, slip and fall. Um, people are always suing us, uh, not in a bad way because things happen. It's an it's a, it's a organisation. Uh, engineers, you know, look at engineers. We need engineers because we're build staff. We're constantly building staff, whether it's renewing bridges or renewing, removing level crossings or um, enhancing platforms. You know, we're building staff. It's just so exciting. Uh, so if you want to get down and dirty, uh, you don't want to just be, you know, a research engineer. You want to, you know, want to do stuff. Uh, incredible organization to get into. Um, but we are, we are, uh, for profit. So, you know, you can't lose sight of that, um, which is the beauty of it, because uh, what what happens when people, when the government franchises is we, we the performance lifts, we, we run it like a business. How do we enhance the network? How, what is it that we can provide to the to the customer, you know, value proposition? What is it the customer's getting? Yeah, I, I want to get on my train, tap on, read my book, get on my iPhone. But there's other stuff, you know, I want to have Wi-Fi. I want to be comfortable. Uh, I want to hear announcements. Um, I, want to, I want to explore the city. I want to know where the hubs are. I want to get off that train and get on, uh, you know, on a light rail or I want to catch a bus. I want to get on a ferry. Uh, there's a lot of expectations and, and that's the beauty of it because transport is so rapidly changing. Uh, you know, Uber is just one of the five years ago of what's happened to transport. That is so 80s now. So, you know, it's just so rapid the way we're changing with technology. It's just a phenomenal world to get into. Yeah, and maybe that's the, the missing trick, right? No, no, it's great. It's like saying, maybe that's the missing trick is that some organizations don't run themselves like businesses. And so that's perhaps where they fail. Um, but I just wanted to, I guess, peel the layers on that one a little bit further. How prevalent are the political constraints and challenges when you're public facing? You know, if if the mayor of a city comes out and promises something without, you know, real data and information, and now you've got to deliver against that potentially, or there's, you know, funding constraints, or whatever the case may be. How how difficult is it to navigate around that? Well, the beauty of franchising is there's a contract. <laughs> so if the man wants to promise something, that's that's awesome because that's a contract variation for us. Um, look, you know, you can, there's a lot of things that the that people can say. And, and you, you know, for example, and this is hypothetical, if the mayor said, you know, better services, on time running, better connectivity, uh, that stuff is essentially quite easy for us to explore. Uh, so if someone makes a promise, 
you know, what does that promise look like? Um, is it is it you know safe for trans? Awesome. Let's look at technology. How do I put more CCTV in? How do I you know do motion sensors? There's some incredible stuff out there. For example, we were looking at our stations and are they safe? Well, there's incredible CCTV where you know if someone jumps off a track, jumps off the platform onto a track, there's sensor motions. Um, so if people make comments like that uh, for a transport operator. You know, it's easier for us. It's easy for us to take that and go. Well, there's a promise. Let's deliver it. Uh, how do we do it? It's not hard. Uh, there's incredible smart people uh, in transport. You know, uh, transport planners, um, which are the guys that plan the trains and do the timetables. You know, you just. I mean, I'm making it sound very simplistic, but you know, there there is ways to improve efficiency because if there wasn't, there wouldn't be a contract in place and. You know, part of that eight-year contract is to keep improving that customer experience. Uh, it's easy done. I would make it work. <laughs> awesome, fantastic. And you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned it a few oh, times. No, one hears this. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll 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 edit nothing out, so it's all there. Everyone can hear it. It's all recorded. Awesome. Um, <laughs> you, you've mentioned a few times franchising, and I wonder if we peel back some of the layers on on franchising and why government might go into franchising in you know various various i guess countries what the benefits are the pitfalls um the various constraints around that if you if you don't mind um it's good it's it's a good question um i've it's you know i've managed this is probably going to be my third franchise contract that i've been involved in um i don't necessarily see a lot of pitfalls i'm again going to lean on um adelaide um it is a very solid contract. The government gives you an amount of money annually uh, to provide a service. What you do between that and what you deliver is entirely up to you. So if you want to stand out as an organisation, you're going to hit the road running. And that's exactly what we did at Torrance Connect in Adelaide. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we reduced slip trips and falls, category B um, incident reporting. We reduced all the incident reports that we've had mean distance failure, which is the distance a tram travels before it obtains a fault, we, we increased the percentage to 360,000 kilometres, which means it went from 9,000 to 360, uh, we improved it by 360,000, sorry, 360% to 55,000 kilometres. You know, that is incredible. And that, all that is, is an asset management system that we introduced and we started doing maintenance better. Um, it's not rocket science for government. It is probably the right way to go because they, they, the risk is then with the provider. So the risk is with us. Um, and we have this incredible opportunity uh, to improve a service and provide a service that's a better value for money. Uh, you know, I make it sound very simplistic, but when you actually, like you say, Dale, when you actually peel back the layers, it's not complicated. It's just improving the timetable, improving the experience. There's little things that you can do, very low-lying fruit that you can pick and go, damn, that works. For example, you know, priority lighting for light rail trams. Uh, it's something that wasn't really explored in Adelaide, and we did it, and we reduced, you know, some of our headache areas, some of our traffic points by 19% because we uh, went to TMC, traffic management center and said, can we have priority lighting around these sections? Um, so although I'm making sound, uh, you know, very easy, but when you actually go down to it and you think about it and you, you get the smart people in the room talking, it is really easy. And for government, it makes sense um, because, you know, we, we are the professionals and, and we run it like a business. So we're in the, in the game to one, improve the service, two, make money, uh, three, uh, enhance it through through the projects and through through the contracts. So uh, we're the ones that bring the smarts. And I'm not certainly having a go or saying the government doesn't have smarts. We just, particularly when you take, you know, UGL, we're backed by a huge organisation that has so many smart people, innovation, technology, um, that will come to you and say, hey, Max, what are you doing in this space? Because we've just built this. Do you want to have a look at it? I'm like, fuck yeah. I didn't swear. <laughs> Yeah, of course. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's all about just, you know, being backed by huge global organisations and letting people just guide you the way uh, forward. No, that's, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, you need to use horses for courses. And if you are better equipped to deliver something, then government should take advantage of it, right? Because end of the day, it ends up actually costing them less doing it properly Absolutely. with an organization that actually knows how to deliver. Um, and before we hit record, you said you also wanted to, I just got one more beforehand back to Val. Uh, you wanted to touch on how, how to move organizations from sort of this public to private type of entity and the challenges therein. And I don't know if we're going to open a can of worms here, but I guess we could go down all sorts of things from culture, leadership, all sorts of various aspects. But where would you start? Oh, that's a very good question. Where do you start? You know, <laughs> pandemic. So, uh, you know, when we when uh, UGL won, uh, UGL and John Holland won uh, Adelaide, you know, it was right in the guts of the pandemic. It's like, where do you start? We were just locked out. We were locked out of Adelaide. Everyone was locked out of South Australia. Uh, so it was very hard to build that um, trust with the staff. And they were all government staff. You know, we have people that have been tram operators for 40 years. Uh, so where do you start? You know, you start by just being really transparent uh, and being really honest and connecting with people. Uh, and, you know, and, and we did it. We, we, we had one person that was able to fly into Adelaide and started connecting with people. And, and we were just so open with our dialogue and we were just so, um, you know, we, 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 it wasn't that we, we, there was no options. These, these are government employees that always have options because there's always redundancy. Um, but we were so open with um, the concept of the joint venture and the benefits to uh, coming on board with a new franchise. Um, you know, if you talk to some of the staff now, and it's simple things like that we fix, you know, payroll. For example, if someone had an issue with their pay, it didn't take three weeks to fix it. It took an hour to fix it. We build trust through the leadership team and through the mobilization team. And uh, you know, 92% of staff came over purely for the fact that we were able to build a vision and tell them a story of how to put Adelaide back on the map. And they had this opportunity to be part of that movement. So when you paint a picture to people and you tell them, well, what's the vision for the next 10 years? Uh, you bring them on a journey. Uh, and I know that sounds so 80s, um, but you, you, you get them on that journey and you build, you know, you build a rapport um, and you, you, you've got to, you've got to visualize with them and what, what, because the first thing they always say to us is like, well, who are you and what do you, what's your plan? Are you going to like slash 50 tram drivers? Uh, no, no, that's, we're going to enhance services. We want to build more trams. We want to run an additional line to, you know, McGill. Uh, so that gets them excited because one, we have uh, the ability to build the funding to do it uh, and the people to make, to, to come and do it. Um, so it's a bit, you know, it is hard because it was such a unionized workforce, but the beauty of a franchise is, um, you know, that, that we have the ability to do things outside the scope. We're not a public service where we're not so bureaucratic. And it was, it was a really beautiful journey for these people, because I think if you looked at the culture that we've got today and the culture that they had two years ago, uh, very different, very different ball game. That's awesome. And, um, you know, being an Adelaide boy, uh, thank you for making my city uh, better or great again. Can I say that? No, I will anyway. <laughs> if you but, get a cap, uh, you can. I haven't been there for like two years. It's really bad. I, I want to go visit my family, but I will one day. So uh, hang in there, guys. Um, that was great. And I want to lift the cap on some of the things you mentioned because I'm a how guy, Agda. I want to know how things are done. Mm -hmm. I'm a tinkerer. Sometimes it doesn't work out for me, but I'd love to know you mentioned kind of improvements and it, it's, it's probably a depends question, but how did you go about kind of eating the elephant? You can't obviously eat it all at once. There was all these multiple things that needed improving. Um, you, you mentioned this uh, kind of 360% gain or improvement. How do you go about doing that? Obviously, you get smart people in a room, but you need to herd cats in a way because smart people tend to be the hardest to get together. You know, they are opinionated. They have strong beliefs. They got good experience. Um, having intelligent yeah. people in the room can be almost a stifling factor, but how's, what's your tactic? You know, it's kind of learn and adapt. 
So some of that stuff that you will always do at the next organisation, you've already trialled and tested in the previous organisations, right? So uh, one of the things that we did was uh, when you look at the, the, the thing with transport, you, you've got to have an incredible asset management system because you're dealing with a lot of rolling stock and a lot of infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, coming from a world of Sydney and Melbourne, uh, that stuff we do really well because you've got, you know, if you look at New South Wales, you've got nearly got a thousand kilometres worth of track, you know, overhead wires. So it's simple stuff like that. Uh, that we go, well, what's your asset management system? What did we promise in the bid? Because the bid work has got to be promising stuff, right? Uh, so a lot of that stuff's done way before you get to the ground, way before you win, win the bid. So this is a whole bid paperwork that goes in that's 100 pages long that you've promised the government you're going to deliver. So we do a lot of homework even before you even get the contract signed, sealed and delivered. Um, but then if you, if you look at the workforce and you, you, walk into, you walk into the maintenance area and you go, wow, you guys, what did, how, how do you do stuff? Um, you know, people are very willing to share. And, and, if you, and if you say to people, for example, I want to use a very, very simple um, analogy. You know, you walk into a, a man cave into a, and you've got, you know, in a man cave, there's tools, there's stuff. Um, essentially, we walk into a man cave and there's tools and stuff but nothing had a place for it. So you watch one guy go in and look for his hammer for 20 minutes, but the other guy's already taken it. So 20 minutes, 20 minutes is my money. That's a lot of money in that 20 minutes. If two people mm. are looking for it, that's 40 minutes. Um, so how do you simplify workforce and make it just a leaner workforce and a more um, smarter, you know, how do we, there's my hammer, there's a tag, David's got it, I've got it. Uh, Dave, where's the hammer? I've returned it. Uh, you know, it's all that simple stuff to get to get right. Um, how do you do it? That's we've done that. We're doing that. Um, certain organisations, you know, if I could take stuff out of Sydney Trains, MTS, and MTM, uh, they've all got good things they're good at. Um, if, so you know, you just you've learned because you've gone through. You know, I've been in transport twenty years. I've picked up some stuff. Um, so you're just taking that stuff to the next place and say, you know what, I saw someone do something a lot better and a lot quicker. Let's try it. Mm. And I think, you yeah. know, we've touched coffee on shops. it before. Sorry? Sorry I've got to say coffee shops could um, could use that because so often I go into my coffee shop and just to order a latte, no special milk, and the 20 pounds they press, and I just sit there going, surely you can find a better way of doing that. Have you ever gone to a done that in adelaide it's bad i don't know i've, I've been there oh. for coffee and the speed melbourne's great right uh, melbourne for those that know yeah. get a coffee it's like it's there it's piping hot it's ready to go but other places yeah there's some there's some time to improve it is that a side hustle magda that you're thinking about doing just a little no, but it's just coffee optimization i'm one <laughs> no but i got i'm one of these people that i'm always looking for efficiency so you know when yeah. when when I stand there at a coffee shop and someone, this girl does used to do this every morning, and I think I counted seven buttons she's got to press before I can go, bing, I've paid. I felt mm -hmm. like one day, surely there's one button you can, it's a latte. Let's let's find a button. Let's talk to you, let's talk to your providers of your little pad and find a button because yeah. where's I your supervisor? Yeah. I you know, this is this is Magda. I think why we, we, we're, uh, you know, kindred spirits because I'm very similar, you know, it'll be ordering a meal and I watch what happens to a docket. It'll be done on a piece of paper. Then they talk to each other. Then it goes to the kitchen. Then the kitchen goes off somewhere else with it. And you, you watch all these steps and you're like, are they really necessary? And it brings me back to, um, Dale and I were talking about this. We've talked about a few times, this 1% marginal gain focus is just like, you don't have to transform everything but you just make little changes here and there and they have a compound effect, a positive compound effect over time. And it tends to be the easier way to do it. It used to be kind of jazzed up, I guess, as continuous yeah. improvement, but I just call it common sense, you know, just simplifying things to the basic needs. So what do we need to do here to finish there? And what are the steps involved? And there's other terms like day in the life of, and it seems like you innately have this ability already and you probably take it for granted that you can just spot this patterning that's happening in projects. But for some people, it's very difficult for them to see. And it can be overwhelming as well. You're like, there's too much to do. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa step back. What do you need to do to get from here to there? And uh, it's refreshing to hear that there's someone else 
in transport, making it happen, Magda. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, you've had some great career successes and do you think some of that's related to the way you organize people or do you think it's because of your technical? And I think you kind of gave the clue before, but do you think it's, it's communication? Is it soft skills that have helped you in your career more than let's say technical or specific SMEisms in your career? Uh, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, and I think at a very different level, depends where you are with your career. Uh, it kind of uh, fluctuates and, and, it, and it changes. Um, I think you need to know your stuff, uh, but at the end of the day, when you get a certain level, you've, it, you know, you've got to, it's like that movie, you know, build it and they will come. And that's, that's really what it is with leadership. You've got to, you've got to foster a culture where people would just want to do stuff without you having to micromanage them. Um, mm -hmm. it, is a, it, it is a blend of both. Uh, I think as you progress through career, uh, those soft skills become very paramount because you don't only have a team to lead, but you have a client to manage as well. Uh, on top of that, you've got a, multiple boards that you've got to report to. Uh, so it's definitely your ability to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Let me tell that sounds, you. That sounds like a book right there. Um, it, um, yes. <laughs> Have you read it? It's good. <laughs> I, I think it's one of Dale's favorites, actually. Yeah, it's on it's on the bookshelf. Yeah. A few people have actually mentioned it when we've had the podcast and they said, you know, that's one of the one of the books they go to a lot. Um yeah. obviously I don't win friends because Dale told you before we press record that he's not my friend. So you know how it is. Um one of the other things I wanted to <laughs> wanted to talk to you about is you mentioned user experience and the and the user journey and customer experience. And I've it's very rare that I hear you know, people in projects talk about that even because sometimes the projects are that big, right, Magda, that you're not, you're not at the coal phase. You're not really talking to the client. We've seen this as well, Dale, Transport for London. So you don't see the connection. And for you, it's just a day-to-day -day job, a grind. And I've seen people think of it like that. Um, how, do you, how do you get people to refocus on the customer experience? And, and what, what does that mean, customer experience? Well, it, it, it kind of matters. And I don't think there's an entity in transport that doesn't actually link back to a customer experience, which is uh, for me, uh, you know, it's that it's that point to point trip where, for example, Dale, you, when you get on your London underground, it's that point from the point you enter and the point you leave that nothing happens. That's what you want, right? You don't want anything to happen. You want your six minutes or in London, maybe 32. Um, <laughs> that 32 We're getting better. <laughs> you, want, you want those minutes to have nothing happen. You just want to stay on your phone, read your book, stay on your laptop, and you don't want anything to happen. Uh, or you do. Uh, and you've got, to know your, you've got to know your customer base, right? Um, and everything that happens in transport is linked to that. So whether it's that engineer that's building that platform um, it's critical to the customer because if he builds a different spec and someone in a wheelchair then has to have a ramp, well, that costs me about three minutes in my um, timetable for uh, you know the crew to come out, put the, the ramp up um, for someone that should have the ability to get on the tram without any hassle. Um, so everything links back. So when a train controller makes a decision on the day uh, that is the wrong decision, um, then, for example, I, I'll use an example. We had a medical incident um, and they held the train, the tram on the platform for six minutes when they could have put it in the siding and let the ambos come on board. And the guy said to me, but it's only six minutes. I was like, it's only six minutes for you. Mm -hmm. But the people on board that tram have now missed their bus and they've got to wait an additional 20 minutes. So now it's 26 minutes. Now that bus then misses the other connection or maybe car parking or the nanny. Now the nanny's got to stay an extra 26 minutes, which by the way is 50 bucks for me. So not only have you cost me an additional 26 minutes, but you've cost me money because now I've gotten that bus and my nanny's got to stay an extra half an hour. So you've got to paint a picture of these people because every decision they make uh, impacts the people that are using the service. I don't care who you are, if you're the accountant, um, it matters because the supplier is not getting paid because you forgot to pay that supplier on Friday. But that supplier is a guy that gives us the tickets or gives mm -hmm. us the chip for the micro cards. Um, it all makes sense. 
and you've just got to paint that picture to everyone. You've got to remind them that at the end of the day, it is a service and there's a customer at the end. So when I go into Kmart, I want to have a nice experience. I want to hear music and I want someone to smile at me. Uh, we're all product users and that's what people do with public transport. They use a product. That's so lovely to hear. Um, and I don't think anyone's really explained it like that uh, before in transport. And you're right. You, you know, there is this extended journey that people forget, you know, oh, it's just people getting on and off. I remember being in London actually, and they have pretty good service. So it's like a train every two minutes. And this guy was losing it because he missed the train. I was like, mate, there's a train in like another minute. But for whatever reason, right, for him, that could be a completely different experience. You know, he's going to miss a job interview or uh, his wife's giving birth or whatever it is. So it, it yeah. is really important to factor those stories in. And I think maybe there is a level of responsibility to project managers and projects in general to share more of the end stories. Like we are doing this because here's a why story. You know, there's old granny. She's going to be able to get on, visit her husband in hospital who's totally. recovering. These, these stories that make us human again. Um, I think someone on our show, I can't remember who Dale was talking about humanizing projects again, you know, making, making that connection real again. And I think you've just um, uh, brought that back and, and invigorated again, Magda, I appreciate that. Um, one more for me, because this is more technical. You mentioned kind of how you would kind of eat this uh, elephant or tackle this elephant. We talked about asset management. Now I find this very intriguing because I feel like asset management is getting, it's becoming the new rock star, if you like, uh, particularly with yeah. technology, digital engineering, uh, what we're doing with visualizations, asset management is working very closely with project controls and PMO and the project management team. What's your views on asset management now and where you see it in the future? Oh, I think asset management is super sexy. But <laughs> uh, you're right, it is a rock star. So, you know, you've got things like MTS, automated train, trains. I mean, that's an incredibly uh, mm. sexy thing that's out there, right? And that's just, uh, that's built on assets and it's run by a computer. Uh, and how you manage that asset and how you do maintenance on that asset and um, how you first, let's start how you build it. You know, it's got to be built the right way. It, this is incredible stuff. This is just mm. stuff that is, you know, 20, 22nd century. Um, but if you look at things, you know, you've got, if you look at Canberra light rail or you look at Adelaide light rail, very two different asset management type of entities, right? Canberra, very glitz and glamour, brand new, shiny. Then you've got Adelaide, which is, you know, diamonds and pearls. And I know which one I prefer because it's more value, but you've got an asset that's 100 years old. How do we modernise that asset? What are we going to do to that? I've got parts of tracks that are 100 years old. You know, how do we bring all that modern um, modernization and all those, um, you know, condition monitoring things, but put it on really old infrastructure? This is really incredible stuff. And this is where the project team needs to come and go, this is how we do it, Max. This is how we're going to do it. You know, one of the other things that we're not talking about is sustainability. Uh, you know, with one of the biggest carbon footprints. How do we deal with that? Because although we move mass people, how do we make it a bit more sustainable for the environment? Uh, and I think that's the next thing that's going to make assets really sexy because I think it's in that technology that we're going to be able to do that. You know, there is stuff out there. Uh, automation is awesome and obviously that will lower the carbon footprint but I've still got drivers that are driving those trams and how do we make that a more sustainable um, you know service for for the communities I love it I think it's there's so much in that space that's being done there's so much incredible research being done uh, whether it's universities or engineers um, is the new norm and uh, an asset leads you know it's also the rolling stock look what's happened in Sydney uh, the tram tracking um, you know, who got that wrong? That's an incredible asset that, you know, it's been slowly cracking. Um, and how do we prevent that from happening again? Because there's a bit of, there's a bit of to and fro. Is it, was it the tram or was it tracks? Was it the egg or the chicken? Yeah. Uh, let's solve it. Yeah, no, that's great. And your energy is great. And I'll, I'll hook you up with uh, Zero Construct as well. They're just down that route. They're just kicking off now. Um, they'll be on the show next year, but um They've got some great things that they're trying to move forward in the sustainability section of transport. Um, and they want to be a very collaborative movement. And I, I just absolutely support that as well. So it's glad, I'm glad you said it as well, Magda. Um, Dale, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Val. Just a couple of comments, I guess, Magda, on that. Um, you know, everything that you and Val were discussing there rings true and sings along with responsible project management. We spoke, 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 spoke to uh, Dr. Karen Thompson and Nigel Williams 
and indeed Dave Corbin as well around responsible project management. I've, I just signed the charter as well um, the other day. Uh, so, you know, th th there's 10, 10 items along that. They're trying to start this movement in the UK and hopefully it spreads globally because it is considering not just, you know, what impacts you, but what impacts the next person. And 100%. along the lines of not only cost impacts, but environmental sustainability, yeah. well-being, the works, all of those bits add up and give you the final end product, as you're saying. Um, and then the other thing I'd throw in um, about why improving transport is also quite sexy is because often people don't realize you're doing it on a live operational railway system um, or network it's not something that you can just stop. People still need to get from A to B while you're upgrading or while you're improving. And that is a different challenge to when you've got a greenfield or brownfield site where there's nothing else happening potentially and you just, you know, you have full access. You have a very small window to make these improvements. And I think that isn't always appreciated as well. So everyone in the transport sector, thank you so much for everything you do because it's hugely, hugely challenging. But look, Magda, we do have to make a little bit of time for our feature because uh, we, are, we are a little bit strapped for time and it's a little bit of fun at the end. And our first one is called Defend the Indefensible. Now, basically, you have to argue for the statement. And you only have 30 seconds, so it's, it's not a lot of time. So are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so your statement to defend, so argue for, is governments should avoid franchising. Governments should afford, should, should, should avoid franchising uh, because then they're going to get stuck with people like Magda. And why would you want to get stuck with people like Magda? Why would you want Magda in your face every other week on a subcommittee, on a committee, telling you how wonderful it is when you franchise? I mean, who wants to hear that stuff? No one's going to want to hear that stuff. So keep it in government hands and keep losing money. That's what I say. I think that's a great thing to do. Keep it, you know, get the unions. I'm a unionist by heart. So keep the unions in the job, keep everyone in the job. Uh, and then you just eliminate people like Magda because God, she can go on and on and on and on and on. Fantastic. Think? Awesome, yeah. Magda. You're such a great sport. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, you gave it your full go as well. And you went past 30 seconds, which is fantastic. Right. Our next one is called Fiverr. A quick pop quiz all about yourself. Uh, quick five quick fire questions. Are you ready? Go. Question one, early mornings or late nights? Early mornings, love it. Question two, what are the three must-have behaviors you look for in successful project teams? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, collaboration, professionalism, and innovation. Nice. Question three, what is the best book you've been gifted? A thousand Splendid Sons. Nice. Question four. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self? Oh, geez, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, you know what? I keep doing what you're doing. I, I had fun and I was a good kid and I and every job I've had, I've had fun. Keep doing it. Uh, and just watch Star Wars more often because you don't get to as an adult. It really sucks. Try and get the kids in it, but... <laughs> fantastic watch star wars more often you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen question five magda if you could choose one person to be stuck with in a lift who would it be and why oh it definitely definitely val because he stood me up on a drink ah. last time it just annoyed me and uh and i just and hopefully we'd have a cocktail in that lift so uh, ah, i feel like definitely. that we stayed on our cocktail time in Adelaide so oh yeah you remember that's uh that's so sad I'm so sorry I'll catch you in New Zealand how's that please you owe me one <laughs> I do I do Val has a long list of owing lots of people lots of things um but anyway not yeah. least our listeners for last episode but we won't hold that against you Val <laughs> Magda you've been such a great sport thank you so much for your time before we let you go are there any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with uh, no, no, thank you. It's been incredible. Uh, you guys are super fun. But if anyone's out there and, and they have kids and, and they, they want to look for a career, please consider transport because you can be anyone and everyone. Uh, and it's just, it's such an incredible journey. You can stay in for life or you can um, do whatever you want. It's incredible. 
Fantastic. And if you find it difficult and you're in the industry, look up Magda Robertson. She finds it very, very easy. Uh, Val, any fi- <laughs> 100%. Val, any final thoughts from you? No, no. I'm just going to get some credits from Mr. Michael Downing so I can shout uh, Magda some drinks. But I'm looking forward to catching up. And thanks for your time today. It was great. A lot of energy and inspiration. And as usual, uh, always impressed. So thanks for your time, Magda. Thank you, gentlemen. I loved it. Awesome, folks. That's all the time we have. If you like what you've heard, remember you can pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your social media. A massive thank you once again to our guest, Magda Robertson, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Val, it's bye for now. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.